You have events to plan, but you have no idea where to start. Entire Productions creates in-person and virtual events for Fortune 500 companies and melts away all of the stress. It's better than getting a 90-minute massage. Go to entireproductions.com and give yourself a break. Well, for us at TruePoint, it's all about the hustle. It's on our wall in the company. We have a big wall. You walk into the bullpen, it says hustle on it. Um, it's the nature of who we are. It's permission to play at TruePoint. We're scrappy and we have to get in the trenches and roll up our sleeves. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's to be resilient. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life? Or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. If you'd like to know how to scale and grow your company and make more profit, sign up on my website at natashamiller.co to get on the waiting list for my Entrepreneurial Master's Accelerator program. How do you scale a company to 27 employees and survive a pandemic? In this episode, we'll be talking to Jessica Nunez about this, her core values, the Inc. 5000, and so much more. Now let's get right into it. When I was in college, Natasha, I said that I was going to start my own PR agency. And I was my senior year and my professor said, you know what, you should probably go and get some experience. Maybe. <laughs> might be a good idea. So I said, okay. And I did. And I went out and worked for a top three consulting communications consulting company. Um, great company, had a wonderful experience. And about six years into it or four years, I guess four or five years into it actually um, decided that I really was being pulled to do my own thing. And, and a large part of that was where the market was going in the, the media landscape and communications world. Uh, Facebook had started. Twitter was born the year I started my company. And Fantastic. so I was seeing what was happening and I was, and I was really into launching websites and launching and going into going, getting on Twitter. And everybody would say like, oh, well, you know, it's not really going to last. It was like when the internet launched, it was like, well, is that really going to last? Um, and I really saw that it was. And I saw that there was this new generation of, of PR and I was calling it EPR at the time. And you'll hear EPR a lot now. Um, I didn't coin it, but I think a lot of us would say electronic PR and being going on digital. And then I moved into integrated marketing communications. And I just had a desire and a drive to want to do things differently. And I also believe that marketing is a 24-7 business. And several years ago, about six years ago, I really started pushing our company into more of a 24-7 model. That That's if something that I'm going to ask you about later about your model, because I'm really curious about one of the services you have. But staying on the path to entrepreneurship, do you think that you were born a, a, a born natural entrepreneur? Or did you do you think that it's something you can absolutely learn? That's a great question because um, I took my predictive index today, coincidentally, if you're familiar with that company, but somebody gave me one of those and they said, you're driven. No wonder you're an entrepreneur. You're number one uh, feature. You're extremely driven. 
And I guess they, they also, they work with entrepreneurs and they said, you know, a lot of entrepreneur, the person I was talking to said a lot of entrepreneurs have this and independency also is one of my traits, but you know, I also was influenced in a great, a great deal by my grandfather. Um, my grandfather was an entrepreneur and he retired at 40 and his wow. name's John Hamilton. And I'm very proud to be his granddaughter. He did a lot of really cool stuff. He sold his farm. He was a farmer in Illinois and he sold his farm and moved his family to Texas. Then he bought used car dealerships and he bought a laundromat and he at some point ran a bar in Illinois before he moved to Texas and he ran a hair salon. Okay. That's incredible. At one point I would have stopped you and thought your grandfather isn't an entrepreneur. I think he's a businessman or a business owner, but when you move around through those various ventures, that's entrepreneurial in my opinion. He was entrepreneurial in the nature of, he saw opportunity. And he went after it. So he wanted to live um, on a ranch in Texas. And so he bought a ranch and he bought it with a horse racing track and he got into horse racing. And then he started selling his shavings out to other horse, um, other, other farm or uh, ranches that had horse race, horse racing. He's very entrepreneurial in the nature of everything that he did. And I think I picked up on that element of what can I do? Um, what is in my craft that I can do differently or do better? or just find a way around finding enjoyment around it. That, that's also what I loved is he found enjoyment in whatever he did. And um, that was unique to me and it stuck, it stuck with me, but you're right. There's a big difference between a business owner right. and an entrepreneurial spirit. And do you love what you do? I love what I do. And here's what's crazy. Okay. I loved being, I love being a publicist. I love being a communications counselor. I love crisis. So I do a lot of crisis and I love that. And that's what propelled me into starting TruePoint is I'm so passionate about innovation in my industry and in becoming the, um, the leader of the company, right? By default, by being the founder, I found that at first I, I didn't obviously didn't know anything about being a leader of a company, right? I, I knew my craft. Yeah. Really. Whole different thing, managing, hiring, like whole different things. I just realized this, this moment when you are like falling in love with somebody and you're like, you know, there's all that great endorphins and sexual desire to translate to marriage and kids. They don't really go together. The entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial path, you're great and you want to be a great publicist, but that doesn't mean that you know how or are going to be good at hiring people and managing them and scaling and growing a business. Or running a business or managing, finding, building services, maintaining those services, retaining clients, that whole mix of building a company. And what I found was when I got out of being in the publicist and the communications and I got my arms wrapped around growing and scaling a company, I fell in love again. I was like, oh my gosh, I love this part. I don't need that anymore. I love this. And Frankly, for me, it opened up a whole new growth opportunity for me, like it does many entrepreneurs. I think there's a lot of people who resist it. So if you started a business, especially professional services business like I'm in, if you started it because you're really good at what you do, it doesn't correlate to you then being a great entrepreneur or a great business owner. That Those two things don't, they're not a given. And so a lot of people will resist it and they'll run a lifestyle business, you know, because they're enjoying their craft and they'll add a couple more people on to run that lifestyle business. But for me, I found I enjoy propelling people forward. And TruePoint gives me that opportunity to build my product as people. 
I love building great people and growing them and catalyzing brands and getting in with our clients and growing their people. That is what really excites me. So that's what's been fun over the past several years as we've been growing. And I know you and I came to know each other really well through Inc. 5000 and yeah. being Great segue. I think that this whole time you're reading my mind, which is fine with me. So in addition to the Inc. 5000 list, you've landed on other coveted best lists. You just posted something yesterday. How do you leverage those accolades? And I want you to talk about it, um, not just how you do it, but for listeners, the strategy to leverage their for me, here we are getting ready to start 2021. And first of the year is an opportunity to look at your leadership positioning strategy for you as a brand, right? And each one of us is our own brand and your company is a brand. And so how do you use awards, um, articles, thought leadership, right? To position you as the expert. And so what we really look at is um, we look at our award strategy, for example, as an opportunity to show the market, prospective clients, our industry, that here's the segment we're really great at. And so we use it, one, for thought leadership and positioning. And the other reason we use it is for retention. So our product is our people. Our people deserve to be showered on and recognized and um, put forth, right? And so we look at it to say, what great work are you doing that we can put forth and, and showcase and highlight? And that's what's so exciting. In fact, one of our um, uh, team members, Morgan Gunnels, um, won PRSA in our industry, Public Relations Society of America, their rising professional, their top young professional of the year in Dallas uh, last night. And it was so cool because that's something she's going to carry with her for the rest of her life. Right. To, have that. Right. So to be a part of that and propel her forward that's what we love. So strategically, we look at one, what is, where, where do we need to be positioning ourselves? So if I were another business, I'd say, what are my client, my prospective clients, my clients, what are they reading? What do they care about? Um, what highlights what we do really well? And I would start small. And that's what we did too. You know, we, we're not a giant business, we're a boutique. And so we had to start with what really matters and generate meaningful results there. And when we got those early awards, then we'd say, okay, that's wonderful. Let's go out and tell people we got it. And then we'd see the results of that and right. we'd be doing it. And so that right there, how do you tell people about it? Can you list a couple of the more innovative ways of using those designations rather than just sticking the logo on your website or posting a post release, uh, press release in a blog on your website? Absolutely. So a few things I love to do is one, I love to share the win with our client. We wouldn't have it if it wasn't for them. So we like to celebrate that. So if Natasha, if you and I had won an award together, you know, we'd want you to be part of that celebratory. If you couldn't be there part of the event, then you're part of the next day, celebrating that with you, sharing that out with you, getting the award for you too, right? Sometimes you get those plaques or those emblems, making sure, right? Especially as we work with a, a director in a big company, for example, capturing that so they can send it up to their leadership. So their leadership can see what a great job they're doing because great that you won the award, but if nobody knows about it, they don't, they're never going to make it over to your website to look at it. So find ways to really build other people up. And as they're sharing it with their leadership, then you, you get to be a part of that. Right. And so that's wonderful, but make it about them, not about you. And then, you know, obviously, I mean, low hanging fruit is, you know, putting it out in your communications to clients. So if you send an email newsletter, email signature, low hanging fruit, right? Like the obvious, but a lot of people never do it. 
and showcasing it that way. Obviously, putting it on social media, tagging your employees too, so they can be recognized and tagging the brands that you work with. Um, it just, it's top of mind visibility. It's, oh, hey, I saw that there on her LinkedIn. Uh, one of the things I really push, and I'm trying to get more companies to do this, is awards should not be giving out the big plaques anymore. I really think they should do the virtual um, emblems that you can put on your LinkedIn, right? So I could put a well, stick. And, and let's talk about that. So for the Inc. 5000, and let's just use that one because it's big and juicy. You have to pay twelve to $1,500 to use their assets. Brilliant business decision on their side. And then we get this award in the mail, but are you saying you'd like no physical award and just, we would love to use that that asset. Yeah. I mean, I don't really feel like I need a hard, a box of hardware, right. Or like, I get it. There's a, there's the idea of like the wall you put on and, and there is that piece of it. When you walk through your company, you know, when we do go back in and you go to a company, you have the wall of awards. That's awesome. And, and I think there's a big piece of that. I do feel that that is important because I can tell you there is that element of pride in history that when you walk in like, wow, they, they obviously are doing something right. They've got the hardware up there. So there is a piece of that I like about that. But we're in this world where we're all virtual and you made your first introduction to me might be online and virtual. And I would sure like to have that virtual badge on right. my LinkedIn profile, on my website, mm -hmm. right? whether I'm paying a licensing fee for it or however it's coming about. I do think there's value to that. I popped mine in the headline of my LinkedIn profile. So it says Inc. 5000 then entrepreneur, then something else, then author. I don't know what else it says, but I definitely wear that as a badge of honor. And um, I was asking you for, um, of course, I want our listeners to know about this, but selfishly, I wanted to know what else I could do. And since you're in PR, I had a feeling you would tell me. So I like that. So let's talk about um, how you're scaling and growing your business during this pandemic. Well, for us at TruePoint, it's all about hustle. It's on our wall in the company. We have a big wall. You walk into the bullpen and it says hustle on it. Um, it's the nature of who we are. It's permission to play at true point. We're scrappy and we have to get in the trenches and roll up our sleeves. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's to be resilient. Um, you know, I told somebody today, our, we will dock our ship in 2020. We will, we will, we will finish 2020. There might be some holes in the bottom, <laughs> but we will not have sunk. Um, you know, it's been a tough year. I think we've all gotten hit with a two by four. Um, but you know, we've gotten up and we've hustled and communications has been busy. We, I'm so, I hate, I hate to say this, but I, I'm grateful that we've been able to have work. It was created by COVID. Yep. And we had to help a lot of companies communicate in a crisis. What do I do? You know, if I'm a restaurant brand, how do I communicate safety to my guests that they know you can come in here? How do I communicate this pivot we're making from in, in restaurant dining to now to go and pick up and delivery? How do I communicate all that and keep everybody um, in the know and say in the consideration set and not be forgotten about? So we were extremely busy there. Everybody was in social media. Nobody was going anywhere. So everybody was on social media. So we you know I get those pesky notes from my iPhone telling me how long I've been on. I'm like, oh my God, where do I shut that off? I know. Don't, please don't remind me. I don't no. need to know. And it'll be interesting to see if they do a year over year. How much more was I on in 2020? Because I right. guarantee you I was on my phone a lot more in 2020. 
But um, yeah, I mean, going back to, for us, it's been great to be able to be needed um, from a social media perspective. Community management is a big uh, segment of our business and, and social media um, content creation and then um, crisis, you know, yeah. and also, you know, we just did a, we, we've just been nonstop busy throughout the year as, as companies pivot their strategy. How do we help right. them communicate that? Well, again, thank you for leading me into this next thing, which is you offer four main services, digital marketing, social media strategy, crisis and issue management, and public relationships or public relations. I'm really curious about your offering of crisis and and issue management specifically, and also digital marketing at TruePoint. So what is, can you talk first about the crisis and issue management? Yeah, so crisis is, you know, a segment of PR that we've always done. So you've got your proactive PR that you go out and tell the world about you. And then you've done so well, they know what they know about you that when you mess up or you don't do something right, they, you know, they're ready to, to bring that back up to the forefront. And so we help companies mitigate the, when they are in crisis and it can be anything from an internal to an external. So it can be an internal employee relations. Um, we handle sexual harassment, customer service issues, um, it could be store closures um, is a crisis, right? That managing your brand, if you've got a big footprint of stores and you're closing some down, how do you manage that and communicate that out? Um, bankruptcy, uh, you know, unfortunately we've handled a number of deaths and tragedies, um, food poisoning in restaurants, you name it. If it can impact your brand and, and the reality is, is here's what happens when something negative happens. And, I, and I'm a, this is something I tell everybody, you've about this day and age with social media, you about what you do in the first 45 minutes is what matters most. And I can give you lots of examples of brands over the years that sat in a boardroom and tried to figure out. Meanwhile, social media created Twitter handles and caught wildfire <laughs> and they could not control that crisis any longer. And right. so what you decide in those four, first 45 minutes, meaning how you approach this, how much attention you give to it and how you choose to respond will dictate how that crisis will um, play out in the court of public opinion. And but you really are 24 seven because if something happens right, on yeah. a different time zone. So do you have strategists that are dedicated to just that one element of your business? Yeah, we have crisis. Uh, we have a crisis team. Uh, we've, and we work Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve. I've worked Valentine's, you know, our team, we've had a crisis. If a crisis, we always say in our industry, anybody who's in our industry knows if there's a crisis, it's going to be at five o'clock on a Friday <laughs> or a holiday or like the day before a holiday. I had one emergency room. Yeah. I had one client call me the um, Saturday before Easter. And I was, I, it was, I was hosting, oh, I guess it was Friday before that Saturday before Easter. I host a big fun um, egg hunt and brunch. And they called me the night before at 10 o'clock. And we took care of it. I mean, it was super easy and our team is phenomenal and they jump in and we've got hotlines, you know, our, our clients call. Yep. And, wow. um, and that way it rings to someone and if somebody's on call and especially in this day and age of social media, you know, yes. something could be so sensitive. Um, it could be so minor. It could seem so little and, and it'd be there at six o'clock on a Friday night and you think nothing of it and wake up Saturday morning and yep your brand is, is in damage and it takes a long time to recuperate from that. And now what we're seeing is if you follow, and this is the other thing I, I coach our clients on. If you don't, if you don't believe me on this, let me pull the stock prices of companies who've been hit Chipotle. You know, how long did it take oh, to, yes. to climb back out mm -hmm. of 
the mess that they had from the listeria and the 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 back to back crises that they had where they they lost their footing they lost that um that trust and so for me what i tell everybody is in business our currency is trust Mm -hmm. You and I know each other. We built trust among each other. You knew you could trust me enough to invite me here and I wouldn't totally hopefully flop. Right. So we have a trust relationship. And so in in a relationship with customers, we are depositing trust in that relationship every single day. When we have a crisis, we're withdrawing that trust. And so our job is to mitigate that withdrawal, that withdrawal and build that trust deposit back up in crisis. And so that's what we help our clients do. So do you also um, manage accounts where like a big brand has a social, you know, online social media, it's a product and people are like, mine didn't come. I didn't hear from you. I called, you know, customer service and no one responded. My thing ended up broken. Do you have an engine within your team that responds to that solely? So that basically sums up social media. 2020 for a lot of our brands because the supply chain has been hit so hard. People can't get anything. And so what we all did is we got home, we were in quarantine and we couldn't get, you know, products. So we ordered everything online. So clients, you know, retailers got bombarded and they, their e-commerce sales went out the roof. And so, and then supply chain couldn't keep up with it. we're going to see that happen again now with supply chain being impacted because we've got to prioritize the vaccine, which is obviously the right thing to do, but it's also holiday season. And people are going to not get what they need. And so, yeah, we're super busy responding to people. And actually this year it's probably been easier because it's like, yeah, you know, there's this thing called COVID happening and um, it is impacting, unfortunately, supply chain right now. And in some cases, our clients can't, can't um, control it. Sometimes it is other distribution systems. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we handle all of that. We handle that, that customer care element and our job, the approach we take is this, unexpectedly personable approach, mm-hmm. right? Our, our, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, speaking of entrepreneurism, and he, and he told me, you know, you should really offshore, you should consider offshoring your services for social media. I mean, anybody could really, you know, respond. And I said, they could, yeah, but they can't do it as well as we do it. They can't do it in a way that they build a unique relationship and change the perception of your brand the way that we do it. Mm-hmm. Because you're talking to your target customer because we're putting people on your work that that love your brand, who are your brand, and they convey your voice and your tone. And they make it so much fun that Natasha screenshots that, sends it to her friends and her mom and says, can you believe that they responded that way to me? And did you see what they did? And then now she became an ambassador for our brand. And that is the best kind of PR you could possibly get. Absolutely. So when we talk about in your business, social, social media strategy, that that's a different word for you guys. It are uh, it's what you're doing is in addition to what other marketing companies would do for social media. They're curating colors and photos and taglines and and you do that too, I'm sure as well. Yeah, we do that as well. And um, what we've been talking about here is the community management piece. So there, right. what what we believe in is there's two pieces. There's the proactive. You have to have great content, right? You've got to put out really wonderful content that people want to follow and engage on and see in their stream. But then when they do engage on it, you have to show up. And so many brands post social media ads or organic their own social content, and then their fans start talking and they don't say anything. It's kind of like being in a store and I'm saying, oh, I really like this. How much is it? And nobody responds back to me. Right. The store associate just stands there, right? That would never happen 
but we allow it to happen online. And do your brands engage with you for one service or do they have to engage with you for all of them? No, we, um, we do what is in the best interest of the brand. So we have clients that, hey, we only need you for the community management or we only need you for the proactive content or we only need you for the PR. And so we're very much, um, these are the services we're really great in. This, this is what we built TruePoint on and, and our people are really good at these and we can segment them based on the client need. I want to ask you about your core values, um, what they are, how did you select them? Was it a team effort and how do you use them within your business? So both internally with your team, but they're on your website. So you are facing them to your clients. And and I'm sure there are very many similarities as to how you use them, but then there's probably some differentiation. So I'll just let you go. Thank you. So (laughs) our core values came as a team effort. Um, They were, you know, we didn't have them when we started the company. So anybody who doesn't have it today, that's running a company, I would tell you, this is a great project or or, um, summit to do with your team together. Uh, We did that and it really, I think, transformed, especially as we were scaling it, the company and enabled me to feel comfortable knowing that everything we do will be filtered through this. Literally, like I can, somebody will call me and say, from the mission of the company is to propel brands forward. And they'll say, hey, I had this idea for this client. Here's what we want to do. And I want to run it by you. Well, will it propel the brand forward? Yeah, absolutely. Here's why. Great. We don't, we don't have to have this conversation. Go, go propel them. So that starts with our purpose to propel brands forward. From there, core value, my favorite is deliver excellent client service. So I'm a big believer. I think one of the big differentiators at TruePoint is to deliver excellent client service, you have to know what the needs are of your client. You have to get in their shoes. You have to feel, anticipate their needs, feel what they feel. And so we do more than just like manage that social media response. We anticipate that you might want to know the themes we're starting to see. And you don't have to ask me. We're going to know to send that to you. So we train our team to anticipate those needs. Um, So delivering excellent client service, generating meaningful results. I talk to clients all the time about it. Like, is it, it's one thing to generate a result. It's an absolutely different thing to generate something that's meaningful to the bottom line of the business, whether it's the brand reputation or driving sales, figuring out what's meaningful to the business. When you can connect those dots, especially as a vendor, like a lot of times in professional services, since the the company's saying, well, you're not my people, you're the agency we're hiring. But if I can understand what's truly meaningful to you, I can become one team with you. So that's what we train our team is to be that one team. Working with integrity, you know, that may seem like a no-brainer. And they say, you know, you shouldn't put those no-brainers in there. Here's why it matters. We do crisis communications. And there are times where we have to remind clients and say, look, working with integrity, this is a hard thing to do, but it's the right thing. So, some, you know, what's right is the hard thing. Let's do it. And, um, and that's what, you know, it also helps when you have to have hard conversations with clients. I had to call a client recently and, and say that we're not going to rebid on the business. And it was a very difficult, difficult conversation, but it was the right thing for my company and protecting my team and mm-hmm. having a hard conversation with them to explain why. And it was, um, it was important to me that I take care of my people and that I, I made, I knew how easy it was and how fast it was to make that decision because of my core values. Yep. It does make it more black and white rather than the 5 million shades of gray when you have the core values. So another thing that I am always just incredibly interested in 
of every entrepreneur is we're all driven by revenue, right? We have to have revenue to just to exist. The net profit average for your industry. I do. So I would, here's what I would tell you, because I'm part of an industry group. I think it varies based on your size. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, uh, so what, what a boutique like mine, like TruePoint does versus a, you know, a freelancer or then go all the way up to the top, a large consulting company, uh, right. you know, global footprint is, I think they're, what I've heard are varying numbers. Um, so I was just having this conversation with somebody else who runs uh, a group for professional services. They coach professional services companies. And we're saying there's like, there's no playbook. There's nobody has a book out there. And look, I've read so many books and they have all different numbers. Right. Like I I was talking to someone yesterday and the restaurant industry, I thought their net income was um, the average was 10%. And I thought that was way low. low. It's six. Yeah, I would say it's way lower. We work with restaurant clients and the margins are so small. And the industry, our our, um, communications consulting industry, what we've usually looked at is between um, like 19, 20%. So obviously doing, um, you know, so sad to say a lot, that's a much bigger profit margin, net profit margin than restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So here's something you kind of clued in on. One of the things I tell a lot of entrepreneurs, especially those of us who get in like I did because of my craft, you have to know the numbers. It's like, otherwise, what's the point, right? Like you're just, you're getting up every day and you're running this business. You have to know what you're, what you're doing and what the outcome is and what's the meaningful result. Going back to my core value, what's the meaningful result for TruePoint? And the reason I think that's so important is when COVID hit, it didn't, in Dallas, we went March 13th, uh, we went into uh, quarantine. On February 25th, I sent an email to my team. I was, I was getting ready to go on vacation around February 25th, 27th. We're going on spring break. And I said, hey, there's COVID happening across Asia and it's starting to show up in the US. I think this is going to be significant for us. We are going to need to get ahead of it and communicate to clients. And, um, and I emailed my head of operations and I said, when I get back, I'm going to have a plan uh, for the company. And we, you know, I had said at the beginning of the year, we might be in a recession this year. It's great that you really understood what was going on. I can honestly tell you, I did not understand the gravity of what was coming. I I forecasted the hit for our team. And I I said, look, we need to forecast the worst possible outcome for us. I mean, obviously the worst would be to lose everybody, but we, um, we looked at all of our clients and every, um, every month we revisited our forecast and, and I, I, uh, overcompensated. I thought we were going to do way worse than we did. I did not realize. Me too. (laughs) I mean, I thought I was going to do worse, not you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in 2008 recession, so I started TruePoint in 2006, 2008 recession, you know, we, uh, marketing obviously always gets cut first. So marketing PR goes, this year, something different happened. People lean, businesses and companies leaned on communications and it shows a cultural shift in business. That people care, there's enough care about the culture and the perception and the reputation of your business that they leaned hard on communications. I would agree with that. I mean, we don't outsource communications. Um, I actually do it so well. I know. Thank you. (laughs) I also hired a gal that's working 
uh, on comms with us. And our number one, we have three things that we're focusing on during COVID. And since this is your podcast, I will just say one. But the number one thing is to remain top of mind with all of our clients. Oh, good that you even have that strategy. That's A number one. Yeah, that's it. And honestly, I'm seeing what we have accomplished in these 10 months. Not only have we kept top of mind, but we're now soaring and we look like mega rock stars. We are, but I think the perception is much bigger than the reality and that's fine. That's that's the seed you plant so it can grow, right? Like you need to plant enough seeds. This is what I say in PR. We're gonna plant a lot of seeds so that we can see which ones grow. You've got to build perception so great. Do you know how many touch points it takes in order to drive conversion? It takes a lot of touch points depending on your business. And that's something every business should know. Every business should know. And I know you know, because you are so great at running your business and communicating to your clients. You can count how many times did it take to put our brand out in front of them before they converted to a sale. I'm so curious what two and three are. I know this is my podcast, but what's two and three? <laughs> okay, so- Two is to get as much virtual event work as we can during this time. And we have done over 125 virtual events since March. And that is positioning us for when we go back to in-person events to possibly double our revenue. And then number three, we created in April, no, in May, um, a premium gifting division And within a month and a half, we had done $100,000 in revenue with no startup costs. And so number three is to drive all of our clients to that division if they need that service. We're not pushing it on anyone. Phenomenal. I mean, we just hosted our Camp True Point, our annual agency summit in July, and we had to go out and put all of these um, boxes together to gift that we wanted to give to our team, but it was a lot of work on us, had I known that something you guys do, yep. that would have been phenomenal to just reach out and say, here's our cost that we have. Could you guys put together a box for us? You know, I really believe um, some version of hybrid or in-person will exist forever. I, I know it from my business. Absolutely. that That's going to be crucial for us. Even it's so if- exciting. I love it. I, I'm a very outgoing person, but I'm a severe introvert. So this is heaven being here and just doing my thing by myself. Okay, so enough about me. Where did the name True Point come from? This is such a cool story. Thank you for asking. I was not expecting that. So when I started uh, the company, when I started the agency, I'll be honest, I wasn't super creative. I really focused on just getting down to brass tacks and building the business, but it was Nunez PR group originally. Super creative, I know. Bonus points for that. Okay, so then I was getting into my, um, we're in entrepreneurs organization together, we're in EO, and I got a mentor early on and he said, um, I won't mentor you if you don't change the name. And I was like, why? And he goes, because who wants to work for, excuse my language, piddly ass Nunez PR group? And I said, well, we're doing just fine. Thank you very much. We're growing and we're building. But I got it right away. I mean, he, he hit me and I was like, yeah, I got it. Um, if you're going to attract all the rock stars, you know, wouldn't they just put their own name on it too? And I knew that I really wanted to build something bigger than me. And so he said, I challenge you to change, you know, change your name or I won't mentor you. So I um, went to my forum, my small group, and I said, guys, I've been through all these names. 
and I can't find one that I love that somebody doesn't already own. You didn't and, spend $30,000 for someone to name your company? You know, I was going to, I had it sitting around. <laughs> I was just going to do that. That's um, a thing, you know. It's I know. I know. Okay. I know. I, um, I didn't though. I also, you know, the hardest thing in anybody who owns their own business knows this. If you do, if you do a craft, your business suffers with that craft, right? Like if the owner is really great at PR, generally the business gets the brunt end of that, right? So mm -hmm. we have to, true point, we have to be really intentional. So I went to my forum and I said to one of the guys, he had just sold his company. It was a logistics company. And I said, well, if I had a name like True Point, it would it'd be easy. Oh no, he you goes, took his name. Well, he goes, Jessica, do you want to be True Point? Are you kidding me? I would love to be True Point. It's truth, authenticity, integrity. It's everything I care about. That'd be amazing. And he goes, it's yours. And so the wow. next day I emailed my attorney and I said, hey, I got the name. It's going to be True Point. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry, Jessica. I emailed me back, but that name's taken. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot to copy my friend. He's going to give it to me. That is a very, very unusual story. And I don't know how many people that would actually have that story. To do that. So I have to give a big shout out and thank you to Michael Fagelman from Dallas. That's amazing. Thank you, Michael. That's really cool. Oh. Okay. So next up for bid is you've had a lot of successes. We've talked about a lot of success, even through the COVID time, you know, we didn't go dive down into losses. So not having to do with COVID necessarily, although it could be, what is a big loss that you had and what did you learn from it mm. in business? You know, I, gosh, that's, that's a really deep question. I would want to spend a lot of time to be intentional on our response, but I, I'll just tell you what comes to mind first and, and hopefully it answers your question, but it's the first thing I think about. Um, you know, probably the biggest loss would be the first several years of building my company. Um, like we said earlier, I was really great at, um, my craft and communications. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm saying that I don't mean to sound like boastful. We got I cared you. about that. I cared about being really great at it. So I, I focused a lot on that and I didn't, and because I cared about it, the business grew, but it, but it grew out of me being really, you know, using my expertise in my craft. And I didn't really focus on growing and building a found, creating a foundation that could scale and building a great place where people, you know, really love that. And that came later after I matured. Did and it occur to you back then? Or were you just like the engine getting it started? It didn't even, it wasn't even, I was so knee deep. I was like in a coal mine, yep. like just, just going like, Came here. you know, like I was just shoveling stuff out and like building tunnels. And there was, I couldn't, you couldn't see anything in front of me or behind me. And I was so exhausted and now I get it. I know why, you know, I was running on adrenaline. I probably wouldn't even tell you I was exhausted. I was on adrenaline. I was like soaking it up. Everything I was doing, I was loving it. But I look back on that and it wasn't authentic to who I am. Mm. And I, it, it wasn't, you know, it, it, there's just nothing sustainable about it. And so that would probably be, a, it clearly was a loss. I mean, I lost a lot of years when we could have been the company we are today. Which but what did you learn from those losses? Because I can see, I mean, I can make, the, I can tell you myself, but I want to hear from you. You had to have those losses in order to what? Yeah, unfortunately I had to have those losses. I say I went to the hard knock school of business and I paid so much more money than if I would have gotten my master's at SMU and in, in entrepreneurism or something, you know? Um, but 
I, you know, I learned a lot. I guess I learned, um, one, I learned the real importance of, of being, it's one thing to be good at your craft. You have to learn the entrepreneurial side. If you're really in it, you have to, and you, you have to know the numbers and you have to care about the numbers and you have to build strategy for your business and you have to spend time on that and you have to be intentional with your people. If you're truly invested in building something that can scale, um, you know, you have to pay attention to your people and you have to want to authentically care about building a culture of purpose and intentionality. And I was just doing the work, you know, I was, yes. it was bring it on. I'm hungry for it. You had the mentality perhaps as a solo entrepreneur or a lifestyle brand right. at, at the beginning, which at the beginning. we all have to start somewhere. So how many um, employees do you have at this time today? We have 27 today. Oh goodness. That hurts me to even hear or think about, but um, are you running EOS traction or scaling up in your business? You know, we're not, we ran pieces of it through the years. Um, I did a, um, doing a program with, um, Ron point out of Detroit that is called execution maximizer. Um, it's been really great for our business. Very similar to EOS takes a lot mm -hmm. of the pieces from EOS, um, but, but we're not, we run a, a very, we run a level 10 meeting, basically that 90 minute meeting. We do it right. an hour once a week. Um, and we, um, really focus on, um, leadership management and accountability, all pieces and components of EOS. So right. I, I think what I've done over the years is, and maybe it's similar to you, Natasha, is I will go through these programs, read these books and I'll pull what resonates with me. Sure. And I'll, I'll work it into the business. And sometimes I've, I've implemented the programs and I give them a shot. And then I take, if it's not working, I take pieces that are and continue those. Probably just in closing, what I would love to, to hit on is, you know, 2020 has been a year for all of us, right? But 2021 is ahead, the future's ahead. If you're an entrepreneur, you know, you've got to be resilient and dig in. And to anybody out there who, who's had a really tough year or is just exhausted, like most of us um, coming at the, at the finish line here, um, just to stay, I, I would just encourage to, to stay positive, to be thinking about the future and what opportunities are there for you. And if there's something you truly don't enjoy, stop doing it and go do something else, right? Yeah. Or start trying to do something else. And Natasha, you're a great example of that pivot right? That you weren't taken down. You kept climbing and you kept going. And I hope that for every entrepreneur is because that's what I really believe in is catalyzing entrepreneurism and propelling people forward, propelling brands forward. And that's what TruePoint's been committed to. And it's been really fun for us and building our team. And we hope to do more of it in 2021. That was Jessica Nunez of Dallas, Texas and TruePoint Communications. For more information on Jessica, go to truepointagency.com and check the show notes. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.